This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with futsal players Leanne Scarra and Richard Ward. They discuss the FA's decision to reduce funding for futsal in England, the benefits of futsal and how it's seen in other cultures around the world, and the skills that can be learnt from this fast-paced game. This podcast was also recorded over the internet, so maybe slightly more challenging to listen to than normal. I hope you enjoy. First of all, Leanne and Richard, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, I guess the first thing is, how is everything? How's lockdown been? Well, second time round, how's futsal going? All that type of stuff. Richard, do you wanna do you wanna start? I was gonna go ladies first, but yeah, I don't mind. So, uh, hi Michael, uh, thanks for having us on today. Um, yeah, lockdown's been, you know, lockdown's been what it is. Fortunately, my, my friends and family are doing okay. Haven't across the rough end of it yet so I'm being pretty fortunate in that regard looking forward to Christmas now but yeah it's it's hard to to, to kind of talk about the futsal stuff because we've probably been in lockdown since March even with it opening up it's uh, it doesn't look like we're going to be getting back onto the court anytime soon so it's uh it's challenging from a sporting perspective but you know health comes first in times like this and, and doing all right at the minute. Leanne? Yeah pretty much the same you know it's been challenging I think from a mental health standpoint and just the fact that our lives have been so <clears throat> altered especially with sport um you know there's been a couple of times we've tried to get our our kids back on the court playing futsal again and then because of the restrictions on indoor sport we've ended up having to um you know to stop that when we've had a lockdown again and we, it's just been very stop start and obviously for the adults we've not been on court since March I think um so yeah it's been it's been challenging and I've had COVID myself um, during the whole time as well. Well, I mean, obviously not during the whole time, but during the, uh, the period that we've all been um, going through lockdowns and everything. And um, yeah, that was a pretty challenging time as well. Um, but thankfully, the rest of my you know family has been healthy. So, yeah, as, as Richard said, it's health first. So that's the main thing that matters. Good. And all, all healthy now, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, fine. It took me a few months actually, but um, finally feel pre back to pre-COVID baseline again. Perfect. So obviously, um, as people would have heard, they're going kind of futsal base for both of you and play sport. Obviously, particularly at these circumstances, quite challenging being indoors um, and whatnot, and with, with government rulings. I guess for the people that don't necessarily have a really in-depth understanding of what futsal in this country looks like um, and kind of the leagues and the, I guess, from grassroots all the way up to national team, could you explain kind of, I guess, for for your sex, what it would look like and what it entails, um, both a regional and a national level? So, Leanne, if you could go first, that'd be great. Um, So for the women's, we're more in our infancy than uh, the men's game is. So we've had a national league now for about two or three seasons. Um, And it was initially basically started by uh, teams around the country just coming together because we wanted, uh, you know, we wanted a competition. Um, So it just, that's how it started for the women's. Um, We just all 
got together and said, let's do this because the FA weren't taking the initiative really at the time. Um, and then the season after the FA took it on um, as the FA National Futsal League. Um, and we're not, that's now changed again to the FA National Futsal Series. Um, so in terms of tiers of competition with women's, we there are a few competitions regionally. So um, certain county FAs have had like regional competitions. Um, they were called FA Futsal Fives Leagues. But in terms of um, tiers at the moment, the women's game is still too new, I guess. Um, so uh, primarily, it's we have the FA National Futsal Series, which is split into a North League and a South League. Um, and we also have a books league, so the university leagues as well. Um, so yeah, that's currently where the women's game is at, at the moment. Um, but... I expect more teams to join the FA National Futsal Series, you know, year on year. And then hopefully we can have like a tier two because um, I think that would that would enable like us to have maybe, a, you know, perhaps a B team or something and, um, you know, enable the game to expand. And in terms of um, number of teams in the north and southern sections, what are we looking like there and where are they split roughly? So last season, it was actually, the leagues were quite small. So in the north, we only had five or six, I think. And in the south, they had seven. Um, but I think two more new teams have joined the north for the upcoming um, season, whenever that starts again. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a relatively small competition. But I think the fact that more teams are joining um, shows that, probably the season after the league will continue to grow again. Um, so basically how it works is the top two teams from each league, so the top from the north and the top from the south, um, go into the finals. And I think the... I, I, yeah, I think I think that's the way that it works with the National Futsal Series. Um, and then they go into a national a national playoff for the the title basically perfect and in terms of like a national team is there a national team of women's yet or is that something that we're currently still trying to work towards no so basically in 2018 the fa announced a six-year strategy for futsal um which included the promise of a women's national team um and since the fa have rolled back rolled back all of their commitment and their funding um, obviously, they've just, you know, they've um, collapsed the men's teams. So the women's team is, you know, not happening, not happening as far as we know anymore, which is really, really frustrating because I felt with the momentum that the women's game had that we really could have built like a really competitive and, and you know, good team. Um, it, and it would have obviously attracted more young girls to the sport if they knew that they could represent their country. Um, you know, in a in another sport that's an alternative pathway to football. So that has definitely been really frustrating in terms of um, delaying the progress and delaying the growth. Because I think had we had that national team, I think it would have really exploded for women and girls. Like I think that a lot of the girls that we see who drop out of football, which is quite a high number actually, I think the rate of 
um, like between 14s to 16s that just drop out and go missing from the, the girls' game is still really, really high. I think we could have retained at least a small proportion of those and maybe utilised their talents better. Because, um, you know, some some girls are just suited better to futsal just as others are suited better to football. So, yeah, it's a real shame that, that they've decided to backpedal on that. And, and Leanne, I think um, so. it was September the FA announced their cuts had that kind of catastrophic impact on the game. Um, but am I right in saying that Northern Ireland are the only British team with a female team currently? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. So Northern Ireland have actually taken um, the women's sport quite seriously. And they ha I know that they have quite a big um, national league over there and they have quite a few teams in it because um, our goalkeeper for our women's team is the Northern Irish national um, goalkeeper and I, she was saying that it's kind of really taken off over there and their, their FA has embraced it a lot more than ours has. And I imagine that in, sorry, I was going to say, I imagine them embracing it and the support behind it is what's helped the growth, etc. Well, yeah, I mean, they competed in the, um, the Euros, the playoffs for the Euros um, last year, I think it was. Um, and yeah, that was a fantastic experience for Alice, our goalkeeper, um, and all of the girls. Like, and it was it was great for us to see another UK team, um, you know, vying for a place in the Euros. But at the same time, of course, it was a little bit sort of um, frustrating and yeah, a bit annoying for us that we were still sort of waiting on our FA to make any announcements, you know, or make any sort of give any, any indication that we might be getting a team, you know, sometime soon. But, um, yeah, just totally, like, flabbergasted by the announcement that it's basically just not going to happen at all after, you know, they pledge their commitment. And obviously that goes for the men's team as well. Perfect. So I'm going to score, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so our goalkeeper managed to... Um, score from her own goal um, in one of the games against Sweden and it, it was something that went viral all around the world so like she was on all of these like skill videos and yeah it was just a pretty amazing goal and um, yeah I think again it just like highlights how much of a fun game it is and just you know it was just like it just showed everyone what we could have um, you know should the FA actually through with the, the promises which obviously yeah. they have it was on uh, I think BBC Northern Ireland streamed that game as well I think it might even still be available on iPlayer but if not you know you can find that clip anywhere Northern Ireland against Sweden 2019 yeah great goal you know this is this is what can happen like, like you said Michael when when organisations understand and appreciate what futsal can give and I'm sure we'll come on to it later around you know how does futsal sit in the rest of Europe and the rest of the world because you know, in Britain, we're a million miles away. Yeah, I think also it'd be good to talk through what the, the men's side looks like and then we'll kind of get on to um, what the current situation for it is because I guess for you guys at the moment, it's quite concerning the path that looks like futsal's currently going down. So Richard, if you want to talk through what it looks like on the men's side and how that culminates in kind of men's national team, that'd be great. Yeah, so um, currently... Uh, similar to the women's game, we have a, a senior league in the National Futsal Series. 
Uh, that is actually a national league. In the past, we've we've had the North and South or North, North Midlands South, and that's now evolved into that kind of national league. Uh, it was run with centralised venues, so one team would host all the other teams for the day. We saw some really good crowds coming when we were going to kind of futsal hot spots like Manchester. Uh, Birmingham's always a really good one. We're getting really good turnouts, obviously London as well. Um, so we were getting kind of a few hundred fans on the day as well, which given that the venues aren't the aren't the most suited to indoor sports in the UK, uh, was was quite good. Teams, you know, kind of getting benches and, and whatever the, whatever it takes just to get fans out there. So it was a really good spectacle. Um, so you do have that national uh, elite league. Uh, underneath that, then you have different um, different leagues. So the second divisions then split north-south. And then below that, I believe there's more regional leagues as well. And that's kind of evolved over the last um, kind of 15, 15 years, really, to, to get to that point. Initially, it was under the FA's banner, then it went separately, and then the FA took it back under next year uh, as part of that uh, fast-forward with futsal strategy, which the FA launched in 2018, which Leanne mentioned. So all part of that was, you know, having that elite league and trying to trying to replicate what other what all other countries in Europe have in terms of um, a comp competitive league to ultimately push on the national team. That national team, uh, again, founded kind of 15 years ago. Graham Dell, I think, was was involved in that, and he's um, currently working at the FA on the committee. Um, again, we were, we were late to the party, so the national team founders getting kind of struggled against a lot of countries you consider to be minnows in football, but in futsal, uh, you only need five good players to have a competitive team rather than 11, so it's more of a level playing field. In England, are qu quite a way off the pace for a long time. Um, even up until recently, uh, when the FA ended the team in kind of September time, kind of 50th in the world, uh, was at best, really. Uh, so you that's kind of some of the good teams would be like Kazakhstan, who you wouldn't expect to be up there. Iran, always very competitive, Azerbaijan. Um, whereas England and actually Germany were another team kind of down, down that list, quite slow to the party. Whereas France, uh, again, kind of a, a football superpower, they've recently embraced the sport quite a lot as well. So their national league's going on leaps and bounds, bringing on a lot of international experience into that league and what we found is that they've actually qualified for major tournaments they've gotten results against Spain who are you know top one two teams in the world on the men's side so again what 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 can happen the opportunities when the um, organizations embrace the sport for what it is um just to add there's, there's quite a lot happening um around the country in terms of the men's game um the council the the respective county FAs do have uh, resources to, to push futsal in their own way. So you get a lot of um, county leagues. I think it's challenging if you look at it in context of power league. Power league isn't something that happens to the rest of the world, whereas in England it's massive. Um, so you kind of get in that five-a-side competition. It's divided between power league and futsal. Obviously needing to go indoors makes it harder to play futsal um, because we don't have the weather to just play outside on a, on a hard court. Um, and then you've got, you got Books, which is a fantastically competitive scene as well, getting university students playing the game. You see a lot of those players then come into the National League and then onto the national team as well. And that's been a very good uh, avenue for and pathway for players. We did also have uh, recently an under-19s team who were competing in the uh, European under-19 championships. Uh, I think they competed, um, was either, I think it was Croatia they competed, got a good win against the Italians, uh, a draw and a loss out there. So they were doing really well as well. So, yeah, it just puts into stark contrast all this hard work that's been going on for futsal to make it a, 
an attractive pathway com- in comparison to football. Just, you know, it's kind of gone up in tatters, really. He's right, it's just really unfortunate because it was going places. I think from the outside looking in, obviously, my experience is more on the football side, but I've seen football kind of develop to where you've now got football clubs at the younger age groups or, you know, you've got training sessions that I've looked to where I live locally. There's, you know, three or four clubs within a half an hour's drive of where I live, which is, you know, pretty good. And my first experience was probably seeing clips of Ronaldinho going crazy out in Brazil or interviews with the likes of Iniesta, David Luiz, talking about how they had real fundamental learning in, in futsal and whatnot. Um, so I guess the question for is, as it currently stands, why is there such a disparity between futsal in this country and then when you look around the world, so the futsal programmes that they, I guess, currently run, um, and why is it such a mainstay in some of those countries where it's not here? I think it's a philosophical thing, to be honest. Like, I think that it's been etched into Brazilian culture, into Spanish culture for decades now. Um, and I, I don't know whether it's because in this country, obviously, we, you know, we invented the game of football in its 11-a-side format. And we're a football-crazed nation. And we just have this kind of apprehension around this new foreign kind of thing. Um, and, you know, maybe there's a little bit of fear there um, on behalf of the people, you know, at, at the top that it's something that might compete with it. Whereas we know that that's just not accurate and that, you know, if we look at many other countries abroad, Portugal, Spain, Brazil, um, there are countless other um, examples from around the world as well, where successful football nations also have a successful futsal program that just coexists peacefully side by side. Um, so that would be a false, I think, um, fear for the FAA to have if, if that is playing into it at all. Um, because I think that, that yeah, they, they can coexist peacefully side by side and we can have football success and we can have futsal success. Um, I don't think it's something that we need to... Um, choose and I don't think that they're competing with one another they're different sports that's my kind of view on why we might kind of you know treat it differently than, than other countries do that's the only thing I can really think like it's a bit it's a bit of a mystery really as to why we haven't embraced it because obviously we we're a cold country the weather's crap like most of the winter and the pitches are crap too you know out, outdoors and you would think it would be the ideal country to implement futsal especially um you know in the winter time for kids you know in particular yeah i fully agree with leanne i think culture is a, a massive part and you could go into you know why don't we embrace basketball the way that the way that americans or the spanish do handball isn't a sport played here roller Roller hockey isn't a sport played here. You know, we, we feel in England that you have to play football, rugby or cricket and everything outside of that doesn't really matter. And, you know, I could go into that one, but just to kind of sing the other side of it, I think money is a huge factor. I think the cost of renting a hall in the UK is completely disproportionate to everywhere else in Europe. And when you consider how rich a country England is, both in terms of the FA 
and in terms of you know the, the overall GDP per head, it's actually really difficult for people to still get training venues, to get match venues. Uh, referees are more expensive. Um, so when we've played with England, when, whenever we go to a qualifying competition in the past, we've always done it abroad. UEFA do put money towards countries to actually host the events. And when if it goes to Bulgaria or Macedonia, these countries are actually making a profit. They can pay for all the training, pay for the hotels and have a little bit of profit. Whereas in England, it wouldn't even scratch the surface because of the, the price. So accessibility is a massive thing. And I think, you know, money is, is such a factor. I, I think definitely the FA, uh, when they've been reviewing all their uh, budgets for this season, they've found it easy to, to wipe out in the 900K, which is what's been suggested as the budget for futsal to run as it's uh, previous, previously planned. And in an organisation where they're trying to make £300 million worth of cuts, you know, that, that can be understandable. But they're, they're cutting futsal 90%, whereas everything else get, is getting 20%. So that's completely disproportional. And when you, when you think about £900,000 in the context of the, the FA as an organisation, um, you know, it's, that's a drop in the ocean. They've, they've got a lot of money. They, they could... You know, players could drive to one of their training camps rather than get chauffeured taxis that are probably paid for it. You know what I mean, <laughs> so it's 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 how do we prioritise that money in, in the UK? How do we make how do we make venues accessible? We also don't have um, clubs that own their venues. So, like in Spain, could be a main example of some you know country I've lived in, a country I've, I've been quite close to in terms of how they structure futsal in particular. They have the youth players who pay their 200 euros a season. That all then goes up to senior players who coach those youth teams. And there's a real community feeling. And the, the futsal team will have a court that will be shared by the basketball team, that will be shared by the, the netball team, whoever it is. And the, the community will get together, support these teams, push them, and they'll have really good competition as well because everyone wants to do well and represent. Don't have that community feeling, I don't think, in, in England. And that's, that's something I think is really lacking. I don't know how... An organisation can push that, probably not. But what we can do is we can incentivise clubs to unite in terms of having different sports under the one umbrella and trying to expand that way. Because ultimately, you're going to get parents who have kids who want to do different sports and it'll bring people in and it'll really be attractive. And I think there are some clubs which are doing a really good job uh, in the UK. You know, Leanne at Manchester, they've got a men's and a women's side. That's fantastic to see. They've got eight, all kinds of age groups going away and competing as well. Um, you see that London Pro Futsal, they're gradually getting the more, more youth teams set up and to have that kind of structure, I think, will help in the long term. But while it's going to be so expensive and while people will only do football, rugby, cricket, it's, it's going to be very difficult. So I think all, all that we can do as players is try and compete at the highest level and try and inspire those people to play because that's what France have done. That's what Germany are doing with what they're investing in. So you know, if we're going to ignore this, um, and I say we, I mean the FA, then, yeah, the next time we, we when we eventually realise that the beauty of futsal will be so far behind, it'll be so much more to invest and try and catch up. So either we continue going now or I think we lose it forever. So in terms of a development tool for, you know, young people and young players, what type of skills and I guess if we look at the technical and tactical point of view, um, where there might be crossover between sports and whatnot. What type of technical and tactical skills are we learning um, in futsal that we might not get in a more traditional setting of, you know, a wet and windy Saturday afternoon um, down your local park? What type of things are we looking at? 
Well, I think there was a statistic recently that um, showed that kids have 210% um, more touches on the ball playing futsal than, than they do playing football. So naturally, if you're on the ball so much, you're going to develop a comfort on the ball. Um, Decision-making will be better um, because, you you know, it's a, it's a small court, so you're um, forced to think quickly and, um, you know, get your, get your passes off early. And um, I think it just speeds players up mentally um, and it makes them able to see things before they happen, essentially. Um, I think that's the key sort of, you know, element that futsal provides when, you know, talking about it in the context of, you know, as a development tool. Um, for football if people want to utilise it that way um, yeah it's you know it's, it's a different sport but there is no denying that some of the best footballers that have ever lived you know um, grew up playing futsal and that was part of their uh, you know their development Ronaldinho said that you know he still controlled the ball the same way in football as, as he did when he was a futsal player so you can see certain um you can see certain futsal traits in these footballers who have grown up um, playing the game of futsal. So yeah, I think um, I think ultimately decision making and being comfortable on the ball under pressure is something that futsal um, can definitely provide as a development tool for football. I I, I dislike the term development tool. Uh, Why is that? Because I think the way that the FA have been trying to encourage uh, clubs in the Premier League to embrace futsal is by going into their academies and saying, you know, do, you do futsal at these age groups and you'll have the next David Silva, the next Sergio Aguero. What actually, the, re, the, the reason that futsal is seen as a development tool is because kids in Brazil, in Spain, they'll play the sport up until 12, probably along with football. And then when they get to 12, they have a decision. They, they can continue, continue playing futsal where there's a a valid pathway for them. There'll be a professional team at the end of it, or they just love that sport. There'll be good co competition, whatever the level they want to play, or they can be more serious and go into academies and go down the football route. So like Leanne said, those kids are getting as many touches up until 12 as, as, they, as they possibly can, making those decisions, being more comfortable on the ball, using both feet in tight spaces like they have to. Um, and then when it comes to make a decision, they can. That's not a development tool. That, that's, a, that's a sport that they're playing, that they're enjoying. That sport has a has an end pathway. Football has an end pathway. If you say it's a development tool, you kind of get into the realms of what we see is you know a coach can come in, do one session a week on futsal. Great, you'll probably improve a little bit. But you know, as, as futsal players, Leanne and I, I'm sure Leanne will say the same thing. Whenever a football player comes to train with us, they can be great individually, but they, they don't understand the, the tactics of how to defend. Their body shape's all wrong. Whenever they're lining up. Um, when, they're, when they're defending, they don't appreciate the really intricate details where, for example, if a, a right footer has the ball, I should be trying to shut, have my shoulder with his right shoulder so that his pathway to goal is more blocked off rather than lining up individually centrally. You know, we can, we can go into the, into the minutiae of detail if you want, because it is, it is really interesting. It's part of the reason why I love the game. But if you're going to treat it as a development tool, you're not really going to... Some of these tools um, might be relevant for football. Some of them really aren't kind of your zonal defending and futsal is very specific to futsal and how you're preparing to defend different movements. Whereas in football, you know, it's a bigger scale. It's, it's a bit of a different beast, really. But 
you know, if you're going to play up until 12 and, and treat that as part of your development, fantastic. You'll find players who can shoot with both feet, who can control the ball, tight spaces. You know, a lot of the cute little scoops that you see Guardiola's team doing when teams are sat in their defence to get in behind. Techniques that are from futsal. So, you know, there's, there's loads of stuff that you can pick up. Those are just a few. No, I, I think it's interesting because, um, as you said, at the moment, it seems like if we were to go down that route in terms of you encourage the younger generations to play and engage with it, if it got to the age of 12, for example, there is nowhere really for them to go, it seems like. So it seems like it would have to be a long-term commitment to putting clubs in specific areas for there to be routes to lead all the way through. I don't know if that is the case or not. There's a, there's a few clubs which are starting to get those age groups at every level. And I think in England, you know, we're not going to get the same model that you have elsewhere. So it's, you know, what, what would be the English uh, use of futsal? And I think having football in the summer and then futsal in the winter is something that the Scandinavians are doing now. Slightly answered again, the pitches are unplayable. You know, why would you chuck a kid out on the freezing cold boggy pitch when you can't kick a size five football over his shoulder height? It's, it's pointless. And we seem ignorant to the fact that it's irrelevant to a player's development. You're wasting everyone's time. If you can actually create accessible courts, you can get these players indoors. They'll continue actually developing with the ball, create more competition. You know, it's a different, it's a different strength to their bow. I don't think anyone can argue against the fact that if you're playing, you know, multiple sports, you know, not only are you teaching these kids skills for football, if they want to go down that way, but it's 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 more than that. You know, you're working in smaller groups, so you're going to get those different types of teamwork, different communication. So I think, uh, you, know, you know, I think we have to really look at how we're structuring leagues and and how we're treating it as a as a tool. Um, so if we do want to use it as as the tool, then you know, commit a bit more to it have those seasons have competition against futsal teams rather than what I believe to be football teams playing against each other, but calling it futsal. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, th I think the same. Like, I think that, um, that, you know, I think all the National League clubs need to probably be, um, endeavor, you know, need to endeavour to have a youth, set up and, and you know an academy system and that goes for the women's as well um I think that the more link we have between the senior teams and the uh, you know under eights for example if you have a pathway where kids can look up and be like oh you know in a few years after this this you know this can be great for me I can actually play sport at a national level um you know even though those England teams aren't there you know, as we speak, there's still a pathway for them. Um, so it's not just a dead end, you, you know, there's still something that they can aim for. Um, but yeah, I think that embracing youth academies and having all those age groups all the way up is something that we, we all need to be working towards because I also think that if the FA see that so many kids are flocking to futsal and that so many people are enjoying it, how are they going to continue to ignore that? You know, I think that's going to be really, really difficult for them to, to just pretend that we're this, um, you know, little brother of futsal kind of side sport. You know, I think that they're going to struggle to maintain that narrative if there are lots of um, youth academies and 
kids enjoying the sport I think that it will eventually probably become too big for them to ignore um, and I think that it's a little bit of a mistake for us to approach futsal in this country as a, solely a development tool for football because I think what you will end up having is a situation where the F, it's the flavor of the month kind of thing so you know you could have you know, cover coaching and one form of small-sided football that is seen as the, the flavour of the month or the tool that can create the next Lionel Messi one year and then it might be futsal the next and then it's discarded if they're not seeing, like, you know, instantaneous results that have, have us producing all these um, footballers that we see in other countries. So I think we have to be honest in the fact that we are our own sport. I think we have to be firm in our identity that we, we want to create an alternative pathway um, to football for people to pursue. Um, and I don't think there's that we should hold back with that at all. Because as I say, it's not that we're competing with football. It's a different sport and the two can coexist. So yeah, I think that, um, I think that we need to get more and more kids introduced to the sport because from my personal experience you know I'd say that 80% of the players that we've had come to us love the sport as soon as they play it it might not be for everyone you know we've had players come to us from football like professional football academies who you know turn around and just say you know what like I'm a footballer this isn't you know I love the sport but I think that I'm better at football and that's, that's what we want. We want people to be able to find their identities rather than just go missing and drop out of sport altogether because futsal is the sport of choice now for quite a considerable growing amount of people in this country. And I don't think that it will be ignored. I don't think it will be able to be ignored forever. So obviously what, what you're both saying there is kind of futsal got, needs to have and has got its own identity, if you like. Um, there's going to be an argument coming back against that, which would be, you know, we've got academy players who, who already like football, for example, um, that they may prefer futsal. And because it is closely linked in terms of type of the body you use, all that type of stuff, allowing them to experience it at those younger ages might avoid that dropout or might enable you to get players that otherwise will just go back and play grassroots football. Um, what would your response to that be in terms of, you know, people saying we use it as a development tool because it helps them develop and you might get some players off the back of that that either get released and come to you or um, that might prefer futsal because of that's, you know, they, they've had that experience and they actually prefer it. So, yeah, in terms of... Uh... Ultimately, where do we want these players to end up? I think if you see a futsal player who plays futsal or football or whatever, and they've played a bit of futsal, if they can get a contract with a professional football club, brilliant, fantastic, that's where the money is. They want to earn a career doing the sport that they enjoy or love, go for it. We've seen players like Max Kilman, sorry to bring his name up, we keep throwing his name around, but you know, he's a fantastic example. He got released by Fulham as a uh, as youngster. Um, Fulham, he's, he's gone on to play non-league, and through his passion for the game, through his dedication, I mean, he is a all all round is, is 
mental side of the game is incredible. The dedication he's had to get to where he is. You know, I've, I've never seen it in anyone else. He's been so committed, no matter how much you take the neck out of him, about him wanting to be a professional footballer. He's gone on, he's done it, he plays in the Premier League. Amazing. There's, there's no similar pathway for a futsal player. Just to put, to put it in comparison, Liam Paul Freeman, you know, he's an, an absolute pioneer for English futsal. You know, the kind of first professional, born and raised English, English Englishman. He's gone away, made a career playing in you know, second division in Italy. Because Italy can pay players in their second, third, fourth division, whereas England struggles to pay players in the first division. You know, similarly to what I mentioned earlier in terms of to actually survive as a futsal player is cheaper abroad. You don't have to be earning as much compared to in England, where the cost of living is so much higher, much more achievable abroad. But you know, Liam's he wanted to do that. He's, he's gone out and done that, and I know loads of other English players who, who would try and do that. Personally, I tried to do that as well. It wasn't for me. Um, but, you know, it, it's there. It's an opportunity. Likewise for the for the female game as well. There's, there's competitive leagues in Italy. The top division definitely pays. I'm sure there's other options as well. And you, and you can see with you know Zach, Zach Brunton, the player who's been playing futsal, but not as a development field. He's been playing futsal, training with England development teams. And when you see him play, you see you, you can realise that he's picking up these techniques for the right reasons. He can play futsal. He's a futsal player. But he's at Sheffield United now, pushing for the first team. Fantastic, I'm sure that the futsal's you know, one of the strings to his bow. Um, the kind of a third example, one on the continent, Ben Yedda, played at Sevilla, played first player to play for the French national futsal team and football team, played a lot of futsal. Now, clearly a very gifted technical player, but by, by being able to play indoors, um, get more touches on the ball, but when it comes to football, he's that much more comfortable. Explosive in tight areas, you know, it's it's only going to make you uh, as good as you're going to be. But it's it's not a silver bullet. You can't have a, a terrible football player and say go play football. Your control is going to get better. It's it's not as, as simple as that. So yeah, it, it can be used. It can definitely propel you. But where where are you going to go in football in the UK? Fortunately, nowhere. Possibly abroad if you want to. But yeah, I, you know, if someone said to me that they're doing football because they're going to be a pro footballer, great, go for it because it's nothing that you've football in a minute. All, all you can do is continue to have these these leagues, get them more and more competitive, attract sponsorship, and then hopefully we can replicate what Netball's done, where they're getting TV deals, they're starting to support more players. Um, you know, Sport England's done it for other sports around the Olympics and that kind of thing as well. Who knows, we might be able to get something for Futsal one day in the future. We might be able to host a World Cup and then have a year with the team training together. There's, there's loads of different ways it could kickstart. All, all we can do is be passionate about the sport that we love and try and encourage others to try out because it's, it's, it's getting out there, it really is. Leanne, you're nodding your head, which is a test. you just agree with that sentiment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we have uh, players in our women's team who come from football, um, and I have no doubt in my mind, and I'm sure they'll agree with me, that, um, that have they not been introduced futsal when they were and had they not had that option that they would have just dropped out of playing altogether. They wouldn't have bothered carrying on playing in you know, on money pitches week in, week out. They probably would have just dropped out of the game. Um and I think, you know, if the FA's message message is inclusion and, you know, that they want to have female more female players uh, participating in some format of football 
then I think they also have to recognise that having an alternative um, pathway into Plus Health isn't something that is, you know, should be fair. Like, I just don't think that is a legitimate thing to have to think that if you have a futsal pathway that all of the girls who would have may have dropped you know, would have maybe dropped down the league and continued to play grassroots football would then just abandon that idea because we've also had players who come to us who, you know, as I say, they're just they they try it and they realise, you know, wow, I'm totally off the pace. Um, I think I'll I'll stick with my football. So there's not a one size fits all and I just think to remove um that option women and girls to choose and to um, play a format that best suits their attributes as a player is criminal really. I, I don't know how they can they can justify that because they you know if the FA is putting out this poor old message and you know this message of we just want you know we want people to continue to play their sport of choice um, then you know I don't think there's any legitimate fears around Football, uh, football coexisting for women and girls. Um, you know, as I say, that there are just going to be people who gravitate naturally towards the eleven-a-side game, and then there are going to be those who gravitate towards football. I know for a fact that I personally would not be playing still um, if football didn't exist. I mean, I basically got into football because I was playing at high level of football up until the age of eighteen. Um, at the top of the women's pyramid, and then I got an illness, um, which uh, laid me off the game for six years completely. And then I was looking for a way, like a route back into the game, but it was kind of stop start. I realised that with my health at the time, I couldn't play 90 minutes non stop. Whereas when I found football, obviously the fact that you can have roll on roll off substitutes. Um, and the fact that I am more of an anaerobic kind of athlete enabled me to, you know, play a sport that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to, you know, carry on, carry on playing a format of football if that didn't exist. So, you know, I'm just one example, but there are also, you know, other girls that have sort of similar stories and they just, you know, they wouldn't have been playing any format of football whatsoever. So. In academies, it's going to be used by players and whatnot. It's not necessarily saying it's a development tool to improve on, um, you know, your beat the man moves or being comfortable on the ball. It's uh, we're going to play futsal once or twice a week because futsal is a good game to play and it has its benefits. And a happy coincidence is, is that some of those benefits might transfer to football rather than we're going to play futsal once or twice a week to then help us on a football pitch. Yeah, exactly. Your example is brilliant because like, the, the academies and the Premier League think about the resources they have available. Contrast that with what they're doing in the Bundesliga at the minute where they're actually try, trying to have a Bundesliga uh, back to futsal league where the, the, all of the Bundesliga teams have had an option to buy a team in the top German division. You know, what an opportunity they could use their players in their academy to compete at the highest level of futsal. Um, you know, start building and gaining those skills and those tools. Because it's a different game when you're playing you know, at the highest level compared to training or anything below. I can tell you that.
So to, to even get those players competing at that, that level is only going to make their players better if they want to play football. But not only that, they, they could potentially have a viable um, pathway into a first team of futsal. You know, that would be amazing. There's, there's no way that, that as, a, as a Premier League club couldn't support a futsal team do you think that's something long term that will happen because I mean we look at women's football for example and we've gone from having um, and no disrespect to these clubs but like Doncaster in the top league um, you know you had Fulham in there etc and then now if you look in that top league it's kind of your top six type teams that have now gone and gone actually we're going to heavily invest in the women's side of the game and we're going to you know heavily invest with your Chelsea's Man City's even someone like Tottenham that aren't doing great at the moment there you know they brought Alex Morgan over from USA do you think there's something that could potentially happen for futsal where eventually it gets tied on to professional clubs and it is almost part of that identity or part of that brand it could do um I mean I know that Chelsea um I think, Richard, they have a men's team that are competing in Tier 2, is that correct? Yeah, it's, uh, they, they run a, a um, BTEC programme, I think, and it's linked closely to that. Yeah, so we can already see sort of, you know, signs of professional football clubs getting involved. Um, and I think on the women's side, um, the, the more involvement, the better, and, you know, obviously the Premier League is where the money's at and um, I, you know, I would definitely view it as a positive thing if professional football clubs got involved. I think obviously if you look at countries like Spain where multi-sports clubs and the culture around that with you know Real Madrid having um, a top basketball team, Barcelona as well, Barcelona having a professional football team, um, I think that's more ingrained in sort of other cultures um, as opposed to ours at the moment but I think with Premier League football clubs now adopting women's football as professional sport, I definitely think that we're seeing things start to change in that capacity and I think that more Premier League football clubs are having like dealing with a greater maybe responsibility towards the community uh, with the power and status that obviously money that they, they have. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely personally you know, welcome that, and I think it would it would grow the sport exponentially at a level that you know would probably take a lot more years to achieve if if they didn't get involved. I think that um, in a recent podcast, I had someone called Steve Devereaux on, um, and he was discussing the Bristol Sport Partnership, which is quite an interesting concept in terms of they have the Bristol Flyers, Bristol Bears. Bristol City come under one banner um, and they basically use the same commercial department but also have crossover in terms of coach you know knowledge and share and whatnot and I think that's something that they actually got from Barcelona in terms of going to the Barcelona ground where you saw the handball the futsal the football stadium all on one site and Steve Lansdowne um, said actually this could be potentially quite a good way of doing it um, so I think Covid brings an interesting time for people to potentially try and be a bit more unique or change slightly in terms of the way that these things are run and potentially this is a, is a route that you could go down to hopefully support multiple sports multiple teams 
all out of one area. So you might have, you know, Newcastle, for example, Newcastle United, Newcastle Falcons, the rugby. You might be able to get football team, a uh, futsal team in there. You might be able to get a netball team in there, and they're all supported under this one Newcastle Sport umbrella. Um, I assume that's something that, if it, you know, to help the growth of sport, that would be good for you guys if systems like that began to pop up because like you mentioned earlier the accessibility in terms of hall spaces and whatnot becomes cheaper because you know it's, it's in the sports uh, in that sport partnership etc yeah yeah you're spot on it's it has tried to happen it's a question of you know culturally do we value futsal are other teams trying to compete with that, that level oxford city tried it a few years ago um I mean, it was, it was a, a pretty much a tragedy what happened there. The chairman, who was a big fan, passed away, and that kind of lost all momentum, really. And they were really making strides. They brought over some professional players from Spain. They were competing, winning the league. They were, they were really doing what I think would have been a great model. But, you know, that's, that's what, what can happen in life, and it's a terrible thing that happened there. Um, but on the other side of the coin, uh, when I first started playing football, I played for Sheffield FC. Um, you know, the first ever football team. They had a futsal team as well, but it was an affiliation. There wasn't any kind of sharing resources per se. It was very much, you're over there, you can represent us and wear our badge, we're going to help you. Uh, that's different, obviously, because Sheffield FC is an amateur team. Um, but, you know, like on the Chelsea side, I'm not sure what support they're getting. They're in the second division, so they're not, I, I would say they're not actually investing or, or doing as well as I think they would want to for a team like Chelsea who see themselves competing at the highest level of everything they do, you know, women's, men's, um, but you know, not, not seeing them for futsal. They're not close to that, so I don't want to you know, speak, speak badly for anyone from Chelsea, but you want to see them competing in the first division as a, as a minimum. So I think it's definitely something I'd like to see happen if it works, but like, like I said at the top, you know, it has to work financially for these clubs, I, I believe. Uh, at the minute, it's not a viable financial on investment and that's why we think you know how are the clubs driving this how are they getting sponsorships and without the fa willing to support that does really fall on the community to fill that gap so uh, recently there's been a kind of um uh, a link up of all of the the well a lot of the uh, clubs associated in the, in the league uh what i didn't mention when you asked me about the the current structure of teams in the uk there's actually two competing leagues which I don't think is good for futsal. You have a national futsal league and a national futsal series. Last year they were separate. Uh, that was a, a regional division with the NFL. And the longer we have different teams, the, the harder it's going to be to kind of bring everyone together. I think the teams have to first come together and then be smart around how they work and actually get get the sponsorships involved. I think what we do lack in futsal is someone with business acumen who can actually take that to the next level because of the sport probably go as far as it can go with the speed that it wants to go. Um, like Leanne said, we get more and more players all the time. You know, when I started at my workplace a couple of years ago and I said what I did, proud of it, everyone says, oh yeah, my kid plays football at school. Uh, oh yeah, you know, I know that sport, that's the one that Ronaldinho played, that was on that advert. So, you know, everyone who you speak to says more and more that people know what football is now, you're not having to explain it every time. But it's, it's very organic growth. And again, look at how the resources the FA has that England has it could go faster and it's sad not to see it go faster perfect I'm gonna I'm gonna link back onto that in a second because I think it's important that we nail down exactly what that looks like I guess last question just regarding futsal as a sport and one of the things that really 
not not surprise me, but I think is understated from speaking to people who have played for uh, England and Wales in futsal is the outside perception is it's all skill, 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 try and go past people, flair and whatnot. However, when I spoke to other people, they went teams such as Russia, I think in this example around that time, he said went very direct. They had a six foot five guy up front. The player used to, the goalkeeper would hit him on the chest and they would play from there and then get shots off in the final third and all that type of stuff. In terms of a tactical concept within futsal, um, how how different are they? And and how how strenuous is it for people that play the game actually having differing concepts in terms of styles of plays and philosophies in and out of possession, etc. Yeah, it's um, it is very different. I mean, we had um, we had a coach for the past three seasons um, from Barcelona, so he was a great pro uh, licensed coach who um, has got quite a lot of experience, and he uh, took uh, charge of both um, the men's teams and the women's senior team. And when he came in, um, first and started demonstrating uh, different tactical concepts to. Us, who are, you know, all of us, all of our players are mid to late twenties, uh, early thirties. Who all, you know, we come through the football pathway. We, um, you know, that's what we started out with. Our minds were just completely blown. We just couldn't grasp any of it. <laughs> so, what what was he trying to work with you on? I mean, there are just certain um, tactical concepts in futsal that are very unique to the game. Um, so, you know, certain um, systems of attack, certain systems of defence and transition, um, it was just something, and I, I think as well, you know, the fact that in football positions rotate a lot, so you will have players who have grown up as a, a right winger in football, um, who find themselves, um, you know, in a sort of defensive position at times, or pivot position, you know, up at, top, up at the top with the back to goal. Um, and I think quite a, quite a few players took quite a bit of time to actually um, understand those concepts. And I think for us, it probably took us a good 12 months at least to actually start to naturally be um, implementing the basics of all of that in our games uh, week in, week out. Because, you know, most of us have so would you say it's very structured in terms of people have to fulfil certain areas um, and then if someone, for example, breaks out of that area, someone else has to move in and you rotate accordingly? Exactly, yeah. I mean, different teams play different ways. As you say, like some, some teams are very direct. The keeper likes to hit the top player um, and, you know, that's, that's their model and that's how they play. Um, I think Spanish futsal in particular is very methodical, very tactical, um, very much about um, about clever movements, and I think obviously that being brought into us was a bit of a culture shock at the beginning. Um, but yeah, you know, each team has its own philosophy and way of playing. But I think in futsal in general, personally speaking, the tactical con concepts quite a lot broad, like they're quite broad, like a lot more broad than they are in football and quite difficult to sort of grasp and implement if that's not something you've grown up playing for being 
from being small. So it takes a bit of time and a bit more effort to sort of adapt. You can look at for specific examples. Yeah, if you've got any, that'd be great. So, um, yeah, one of your questions was, one year, was, is it kind of, if I move out of this space, does somebody then move there? You know, you, you can write that on a tactics board, but a lot of the time it's more about principles. So, the way that I've seen a lot of coaches try and dissect futsal is they'll structure it into um, the different uh, areas on the court. So, obviously, you've got your own half, your position half. They'll actually then try and dissect that into thirds or quarters or whatever you want to say. So, you can have the top third, so near their goal third, the middle third, the defensive third. Uh, so, you know, one one way that's similar to football, but they'll definitely do the same thing. They'll have their structure so that they can, well, well in this area, this is our approach. So, for example, in, in futsal, uh, you've got four outfield players. So, if you're playing more with that kind of point of attack, we call it a pivot, uh, typically, uh, depending on where they go, you'll have the three players who work kind of mid-court, middle third, trying to rotate and, and gain a numerical advantage in some way over the pivot. Futsal, it's a... It's 40 by 20 meters, so you've got a very small area to work in. And um, so, one way that you defend against the pivot is you have clear communication between the guy who's marking him and whoever's closest to the ball. You make sure you've got uh, whoever's on the, the furthest away from the ball is, is coming in to tuck inside to protect that pivot as well. So, essentially, you're kind of marking between two areas. So, that's a concept that is similar to football, you split between two. But here, you're thinking about, well, based on where the ball is, I might actually have to come in. And do something to try and double up on the pivot, potentially these big threat. So uh, clear communication whether or not the pivot's going to stay centrally, so you want to tell the guy nearest the ball close the middle, or if the pivot might be more of a threat coming around on a line pass to say close the line. Um, and that would then extend to so that'd be kind of a zonal approach to it. If you're trying to do uh, trying to press and win the ball back aggressively as quickly as you can, which is you know how um, a lot of the top top countries will play, they'll be super fit, they can run all day. They'll try and put the team under as much pressure as possible. And this is, you know, why how you develop and why you develop those football skills. They'll set up in typically uh, three lines of defensive lines to try and win that ball back. Depending on where the team is, um, the top of the of the, the middle third, somewhere near the halfway line, somewhere a bit deeper to try and meet that balance. And and principally, you're trying to always have those three lines of defence. What that means is the ball's going to get through. Uh, three different defensive blocks before he gets to the goalkeeper. So you're always trying to think, how can I protect the goalkeeper the most? Uh, in football, I think you do do that, but it's, it's a much bigger scale, so get, you don't, don't get to this kind of level of detail, which is why I think when football players go on to play football, they just realize, oh my god, I have so much space here. And the little tricks they've got to try and manipulate uh, in a 1v1 to try and get half a yard. In football, I can do so much of that half a yard. Um, so, you know, tactically, and from an attacking perspective, uh, you've got the different kind of movements and talk about how you work as a two. So, I mentioned it quickly where you're trying to get any merit advantage. Uh, if, if you've got a defender who you're lining up against, it would be an example of in basketball where you have to pick and roll. So your teammate can come support, block on the negative side of the defender, he doesn't see it coming, so he gets caught out of place, not expecting it, and suddenly you've got a 2v1, maybe in a 3 meter square, that's all you need to be able to break through and have a quick uh, Alicia shot with the toe trying to, uh, to try and score a goal. Uh, and that's going to tap on the tactic side. Again, you asked us about uh, technically shooting with the toe. Massive, uh, massive thing in futsal. 
ball's a bit, it's a bit easy to shoot the toes, but some uh, to try and get accuracy, but it is, it is still a, a skill that we need to practice a bit more in the beginning of But at the highest level, they're, they're picking up the, the, exactly where they want to shoot the ball. They want to go top corner, they can go top corner every time. Whereas in football, you're taught from an early age, don't tell it, you don't use your laces. But then you see Ronaldo's goal against China, 2002 World Cup, he scores with the toe. Ronaldinho against Chelsea Champions League, he scores with the toe. You know, any way you can score a goal is not a bad way. And, you know, as England, it's typically, culturally, to repeat the same things, it's, things have to be done properly. You have to have a big, a big target man and a little target man. You know, it's gradually coming out of these stereotypes and actually, you know, putting our print on the game, which is why we're, which is why I think Southgate got so much um, credit in the, in the World Cup. Obviously, he didn't say he didn't, but he, he went with what he thought was right based on players he had available. He tried to adapt and tried to use what was natural for players rather than shoehorn them into the 4-4-2. So, yeah. In, in futsal, it's, it's the same thing. You've got different systems based on your players. Some of the coaches I've worked in know when people want to hunt at the ball, go aggressive, but there's going to be more methodical to sit halfway, say, if our legs hit more than the time. Um, so, you know, if you watch one, one game of futsal at the highest level, you're going to see all these different all these different scenarios in one game. If you've played the sport, you'll appreciate it. If not, you'll just enjoy the spectacle and how they create the opportunities. Yeah, so I've kind of got two questions at the back of that. The first one is, I see a lot of kind of playing off shoulders in futsal, be it with individual movements to maybe create yourself some space, or a lot similar to basketball where you might be wider, you play off someone's shoulder and then cut towards a goal and ball's played in and obviously you finish and stuff. Is that quite a common practice for those in futsal? And I guess the other other question is, and this is for coaches that are online, if there was a re or is there a resource where coaches of other sports um can go and see some of the best case um and best analyzed futsal clips because I think it'd be really useful to obviously increase our understanding of the sport um and to be honest with you steal ideas because I think that you know there's going to be some great stuff going on in futsal that people don't even necessarily know about. Um, and if we can raise that awareness in terms of stealing ideas and say, well, actually, I got it from this guy. That's certainly something that's going to help. Yeah, so in futsal, um, the fame is a very common uh, move. So trying to gain that yard, half yard of space by, um, you know, cutting one way and then making your run in the opposite direction. Um, that's a huge part of the game because obviously it's such a confined, small space. Um, and in order to, you know, in order to lose your player um, at times you're going to have to be creative and to, to try and um, to try and trick them so yeah the fame is is a huge um, is a huge way in futsal to, to gain some space um, I would say that in terms of the resources for people wanting to obviously look more into futsal I think obviously YouTube is a great place to start for people just wanting to see you know, see it as a spectacle, um, and you know, witness some of the uh, technical aspects, the tactical aspects. But I think coaches who want to go a bit more in depth, and maybe try and understand the sport from a coaching perspective. I think UEFA have just released um, an app, so they've just released the football coaching app, which is free. Um, you can download on um, Play for Android and the, uh, the Apple equivalent. I can't remember what that is. Um, 
and you can see uh, top coaches. They, they have demonstrations from uh, top coaches from Spain um, who break down the game in a way that is, you know, understandable. There's drills on there for people to um, implement as well. And I think quite a lot of that information was taken from the UA for B futsal coaching manual. So a lot of the content um, of that course um, is contained within. Yeah, which I've found, you know, it's quite a useful uh, resource, especially for people, you know, coaches wanting to sort of understand the game more. Perfect. I'd add to that, I think, um, you know, Faith's massive. Uh, one of the things you'll hear most in futsal is second post. So you'll often have the, the shoot to miss, and then somebody commits to the second post. Because the goal is so small, the goalkeeper can easily cover the the area of a footside goal, but if somebody's flying in second post, it's equivalent of a tap-in if you can. That's something that you often try and, try and overwork and repeat to try and create those opportunities. And like you said, futsal still learn a lot from basketball in terms of pick and roll, uh, curtain movements, so players running either in front of the ball or in front of the player to kind of create a block or a shield so he has half a yard to move and then shoot or whatever, or run behind the player and then try and create a parallel opportunity kind of lift the ball down the line in front of the player running onto it. There's loads of little techniques and things that if you watch one game, um, so LNFS on YouTube, so Liga Nacional de Football Sala, the highest, um, the highest um, probably best quality highlights you're going to find out uh, of the Spanish first division. All, all the teams there will play pretty amazing stuff, keep the way they keep the ball the way they're, and they're playing against really good defenders as well, the way they keep the ball it's, it's so high down, it's, it's great to watch you know, as a fan. And you can watch that and understand some of the movements that they're doing and see the patterns the more you watch it. Uh, but if you're an aspiring coach out there, I'd say get in touch with your local futsal club. Uh, there's quite a lot of uh, presence on uh, on social media. You know, Twitter, everyone's more than happy to help. And I played for a club called Pro Futsal. They did a bit of a YouTube series where they were getting interviews with players, going into the tactical and technical side of things as well. Uh, and a lot of the futsal coaches were on those. They've actually asked the questions themselves. They're, they're still available on YouTube. I'm sure there'll be more stuff going out there as well. Um, so yeah, the community always wants to speak to you to help out. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of people I've been in touch with as well. So we want to do the same thing. We want to help their football team. We want to help their basketball team. Um, yeah, just reach out. People are more than happy to help. And there is loads. It's obviously linking this back round to kind of where we are at the start. Obviously, we've gone through a lot of the benefits in terms of uh, futsal and a lot of the practices and whatnot that can be stolen from it and kind of why it's a, a useful game in its, its own right. So I guess it links back to the question of the decision that the FA have made, which is currently to kind of cut, as you said, 90% of the funding, um, which goes to sport. What impact do you think that's going to have? Um, I think, you know, speaking from the, the women's and girls side of things, um, yeah, not, not having that national team is obviously going to make a generation of players feel as though they're forgotten about. Um, you know, my generation of players that are currently playing, um, we're obviously going to feel as though an opportunity has been lost for us, us to represent our country. Um, and I think in terms of the more like the more broader impact of it, I think it will definitely slow down the um, the progression of the game. I mean, don't get me wrong, like there are still, you know, we still want to get the message out there that futsal is not over. This doesn't mean that, you know, 
the sport doesn't exist anymore. The clubs um, and people in the community, coaches, players are still all doing like fantastic work on the ground to provide those opportunities to play, you know, play your sport at uh, the highest level possible. But I do think that had we had an England uh, national team for the women, that that would have created um, a situation whereby lots of young girls would have been like, oh, wow, you know, there's not just one pathway to represent it in my country. Um, you know, I could also become an England futsal player as well. Um, so I think that's the, the main impact at this point in time that it would have on the women's game. Um, yeah, I think I think it's just um, something that will restrict opportunity. And I think given the FA's oral slogan and, you know, their message of inclusivity and wanting to keep women uh, playing some format of, of the game, I think it will, uh, it's a bit antithetical to that. It goes against that. Um, from my side, the, the FA in that 2018 fast forward with futsal strategy. So this is something that the FA as an organisation committed to de delivering. Uh, they were looking at having 150,000 futsal players participating across both genders and all age groups. 15,000 FA qualified futsal coaches, level two and UEFA B. Uh, I think in 2018, there was 900. Uh, and having much more accessible uh, facilities by working with the county FAs. And then from an international perspective, it was to actually create the women's national team. I mean, I'd say embarrassingly too late after 20 years of having a men's team in this day and age, embarrassing. Uh, and then to have the men's national team competing in top 20 from 54 at the time of writing. So, I mean, looking against each of those, I'd say participation, I think, will continue to grow. Without the FA supporting it, I think, not, not a problem. I think players will continue to find the game. There's enough people out there who are passionately talking about it and playing it and creating things and setting up competitions. It's, it's amazing to see, and that will continue. Uh, the coaches, I think that's a lot more difficult. I understand the FA has been hit quite badly with the cuts, um, and they've taken uh, quite a large amount of the budget away from that area but that will still be available. I think the FA has its own problems with how accessible that is anyway. It's much easier to get on one in the, in the Welsh FA than it is the English FA. The Spanish FA is a far more uh, in-depth coaching program, uh, far more detailed uh, currently, you know, fair, fair enough. And we wonder why Spain competes and wins World Cups more recently than we have. You know, it could be a factor. Facilities, that will continue to be a problem. Hopefully the county FAs, we, there are lots of passionate county FAs out there who do drive futsal and it does make a loss because of how expensive it is to rent courts. If you make that more accessible, you get more players, you know, you work with these people to create club-owned facilities, that things will improve in that way. Uh, internationally, I think that's probably the one that's been wiped off the map, really. Uh, clearly, Mark um, Bellingham doesn't want to support a national team. There is no reason he shouldn't because... Uh, there are, if you look at our people who, who are in the United Kingdom, so Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland, my understanding is that they run off the money provided to them by UEFA and FIFA to compete in those competitions. The English FA seemingly does not want to do that. Um, most countries in Europe who don't have the, the budget that the FA have, have a similar operating model. We seem, we are actually trying to uh, not, we, we're actively going against creating a national team. The FA didn't postpone it until COVID was over. It's used this as an opportunity to axe both the women's game and the men's game. 
Um, I do strongly believe that the female team wasn't introduced because they don't want to go against female participation numbers. In every call, the English, uh, the, well, in all the emails that the England players, male players have had with uh, Mark Bullingham, he's repeated the same statement, saying that their core objective is to win a national tournament with the men's or women's um, football team. The FA continues, continues to be the governing body for futsal as well as football. So they're happy to just write that one off and forget about that part of their uh, commitment and their responsibility. Um, we found that when the FA pulled England out of their recent playoff game with Macedonia, where the players had trained at their own expense up and down the country within the COVID restrictions, where, you know, isolating wherever players couldn't get out of their, their tier or, or whatever, players were doing this on their own back. The FA then proceeded to pull the team out before the national uh, lockdown was announced. All the players were accepting the risk of going out there, having to isolate, etc. Uh, England pulled us out, so forfeited the game, whereas the football team were preparing to go there uh, to play a friendly. In, um, I think, go to Belgium as well, one of the highest risk uh, nations in, in Europe and in the world. So I think, ultimately, we're just feeling let down. You know, the, the, the FA is, is supposed to be an organisation to drive and support the sports that it governs. So it governs football and futsal. Uh, and I think Mark Bullingham and the FA see us as a, a line on a spreadsheet. And, you know, we're fortunate enough in England to not have corruption. You know, embezzlement doesn't happen in the UK. We've got these means in place to stop that and identify that. But what I think we are seeing is a complete abandonment of people who, who given up time to create these clubs, to play the sport that they love. And what we see is that, you know, this negative antiquated culture it's just top down in the FA and it is truly heartbreaking okay, so their, their argument back is going to be well one of them potentially and I could be speaking out of turn is they're 300 million pounds in debt they've gone through a global pandemic that's going to put strain on many factors of, of their organization they're having to make other challenging choices such as I know the coach development departments take a massive hit with uh, FA tutors and mentors all being made redundant etc and this is a necessary step in order to prevert, preserve other aspects of the organisation um, and I don't know the finances behind it but potentially the cost of futsal because it is indoor spaces etc makes it with the limited sponsorship you would receive in return makes it financially difficult. What would your responses to that be? I um, think my res oh sorry, do you wanna go Richard or go on then you you um I think I would say just well start by saying you know the that England isn't the only country that has um, faced a pandemic. Our FA is one of the wealthiest FAs in the world still despite the losses. Um, and if you look to Spain, for example, there, uh, the Spanish Football Federation just pledged um, 8 million euros towards futsal and an extra 2 million euros for uh, the top two divisions of the women's game over the next four seasons. So for them to, you know, come out and, in my opinion, use that as an excuse is um, nothing less than a barefaced lie because... You know, in terms of sponsorship as well, we also acquired, um, you know, a sponsorship with Pokemon, 
uh, it was multi-million pound sponsorship from what I understand um, that was meant to support the FA's uh, futsal strategy uh, that they did the six-year futsal strategy um, you know intended to um, grow the sport so you know it's not as if the sport if it's not as if futsal hasn't uh, attracted any um, sponsorship and can I come still... on the sponsorship point Leanne yeah, so, sure, yeah. so I think what is clear is the FA structure is so inadequate uh, it's 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 a laughing matter because the as Leanne mentioned the, the Pokemon deal was supposed to sustain and support the strategy the numbers t t the specific numbers I, I'm not aware of but I, I believe I'm not far away in terms of nine hundred thousand pounds was the allocated budget for this year that's been reduced significantly and what will happen is a youth futsal cup will be run so that they meet the terms of the Pokemon deal at a far lower budget that money obviously will be going into other sports to support the FA with its core goals to win football tournaments. Um, so if you look at how the cuts have been implemented in the FA, they haven't done it proportionally. They've wiped some things out and they've continued to keep some things untouched. Um, I'd be interested to see, you know, if the, if the male under 15 football uh, team camps will help them win a World Cup um, because each one of those, you know, go towards some of this budget, some of this small budget which would be needed to run it on a skeleton budget. They're also talking about ending these teams. They're not talking about postponing them until this money comes back, you know, allowing that sponsorship to actually go to its intended purpose. Um, they're talking about taking this sponsorship money and putting it elsewhere. And that's how the FA allows itself to be structured. Fair enough. I'm not a I'm not an auditor. I'm not going to come in and tell them how to run their business. But you know as a as an investor party, it's, it's very, it's very challenging to accept that as a as a, an acceptable solution. Sorry. Yeah, I think I think it's been um you know, I think COVID has been the ideal ideal excuse in a way because I I feel as though the FA's commitment to futsal has been patchy at best for for years and years, and you know this this sort of feels to the futsal community as though this was an ideal excuse to kind of just, you know, cross us out on that spreadsheet. Um, you know, the arguments don't really stand up. The lack of transparency that we've all had so far, you know, I've written a letter um, to the uh, Matt Bullingham, the FA CEO, and to Sue, Baroness Sue Campbell as well. Um, and I've not received any response. And there's just been a lack of communication altogether, especially, you know, with the England lads as well. So... I think it's quite obvious what's happening and I think it's quite obvious that people are sort of hiding behind this, this decision that has been made and you know it's, it's totally disproportionate to cut 90% of a sports funding when you know they did have a sponsorship deal to, to keep them going and um, yeah none of the argument really stacks up to be honest. Yeah and, and I mean like, I, I don't know what your knowledge is of how the FA is structured or how it's run. Um, I'm trying to understand still, because you've got different parties involved. Uh, so, futsal was technically a uh, development tool. I think that's how they saw it in the FA. They kept it under grassroots rather than their elite programme. Uh, futsal wasn't professional, so it was unable to go under elite as per the FA structure, despite it competing internationally. So, questionable how they are trying to govern that sport in that sense. Um, the National Game Board, uh, as well as Sports England, 
our vested part, vested interest in have a vested interest in futsal. How they can influence and support the FA is questionable. They're allowing these this decision to take place. Um, you see the amount of money being pumped into grassroots football. None of that's going into futsal, despite it being considered a grassroots sport. Questionable if they actually wanted to keep this as a sport. So you know, we definitely feel like we're being um, persecuted in a way for the for liking the sport of futsal, and it's just another way of you know, brushing under the carpet using COVID as, as an excuse. England is joining countries, I think, like Liechtenstein, Vatican City, as the only countries in Europe who don't have a national team. There's no reason to not have one, um, especially as I said, they could survive on the budget provided by UEFA and FIFA. Um, the FA don't want that to happen, I believe, because it wouldn't be run to the same level as it, when they were providing the funding, um, where the FA took a large number of staff members, kind of four or five extra staff members than other countries that we play against. Um, £400 a day, I'm assuming, is a, a rough kind of contracting figure from when I used to contract, as these people are contractors, so I wouldn't know that information specifically. Um, but that's a lot of money. That's a hell of a lot of money. Uh, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland don't see that as, as a requirement. You know, all, all we want to do is compete at the highest level. There's, no, there's nothing prouder than representing your country. I'm devastated for female players. Leanne never have an opportunity to, to try and do that. But also the young futsal players today who were aspiring to play in the men's team, that's been taken away from them. I would love to know how many English teams have been uh, ended uh, in a country where we have so, so much resources available to us. It's, uh, it's heartbreaking. And I guess for you guys, from your perspective, if if they're not going to put the money in and it wouldn't necessarily be the same standard like you would appreciate there, is something's better than nothing. You'll work off the UEFA funding because it means you get the opportunities to go and represent your country and go and test yourself against some of the very top players um, internationally. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, a lot of players have given up work, missed birthdays, anniversaries, funerals, the, the lot, childbirths to go and represent their country. People are proud to do this and to play at the highest level, you know, it's, people want to be the best thing that they can be. And you're taking this away from, from a lot of people. It is, it is shocking. Just to sort of add as well, I don't, you know, I, from what I understand, um, Richard, there wasn't an impact assessment carried out by the FA prior to making these decisions either. I think they grossly underestimated the amount of players that will be impacted and um, negatively affected by this. I mean, I think, um, you know, Doug Reed, one of the other England players, he was saying that um, the estimated number of, of affiliated futsal players in this country now is over 100,000, um, 17,000 of which, according to the FA's own figures, um, are female um, as of September 2019. And I can say just from personal experience and simple observation that Going back to when I first got involved in futsal in 2013, those numbers of female participants were in the hundreds rather than the thousands. So over a seven year period, you know, the amount of growth that has happened in terms of female participation, um, you know, is, is pretty incredible. And I, I, don't, I don't see how, how these cuts can be made to a sport that is growing at the rate that our sport is. Um, and you know, is and is as popular and well liked and well respected. Um, so yeah, it's just it's baffling. And I guess for you guys, if you know, if there are 
um, understandable reasons or there is greater context, you, you'd welcome to hear that from the FA in terms of they could come out and go, well, this is the figures that we're seeing or these are the issues that we're having. This is the clear and defined reasons as to why these decisions have been made. I guess it, it makes it easier for you to digest that decision to a certain degree. Yeah, I mean, all you can ever ask for with this is transparency. So when we had the, the news delivered to the, the men's national team in September, um, we've kind of had an open dialogue with Mark Bullingham. So, you know, hats off to him for that. Really appreciate it. We have asked for a call where we could actually speak to him. I, I don't know if he's spoken to any futsal players or anyone who's aware of the game of futsal. As I'm aware, uh, Dave Faulkner, who heads up the technical uh, game, he was responsible. Um, he was informed of the decision himself. So if those who are knowledgeable of the game are being informed of the decisions, it questions, you know, there was no impact assessment, that was confirmed. They clearly don't care about the game. It's a line on a spreadsheet. How is that allowed to happen to the governing body? Um, you know, I'd love to know if Mark Bullingham knows what futsal is or if he can, yeah, it's, it's baffling, it's baffling. Perfect. And last thing before, before we head off is if people want to support you in this and trying to either get clarity or try and support you in retaining some or all of the funding, what, what can they do to help? I'd say, um, well, it's, it's hard not to moan and get upset about this kind of thing. So apologies if that's been the tone. <laughs> um, but there are, I mean, the reason this has all happened, the reason it's so disappointing is because this is a great game not heard of it contact your local club go on youtube have a look you know you will catch the bug if you like football the best bits of football are in futsal to draw a comparison uh, with paddle another game that's massive around the world a smaller variation of tennis only in the last couple of weeks as the lta the governing body for tennis actually identified it as a sport you know why are we so slow in england to get ahead of the curve and get on board with these things which are brilliant and can be powerful and can be used um so yeah I don't want to moan, go out there, check it out, play. It'll help you football if you want to use it for that. But love the game. Love just go into the details with it. Lots of passionate people all over social media. They'll, they'll love to help you out. It doesn't take, it's not hard to find it. And, and to try and be specific, um, we are trying to lobby MPs. Um, we do have a, a campaign at, say, a futsal, where we've got a petition. There's a bit more information there as well. You can contact us through that channel if you are a sports lawyer or if you have a vendetta against the FA, please do get in touch. We'd be more than happy to, to speak with you and work with you on that. Uh, we are trying to lobby uh, through DCMS to, to try and analyze this decision. You know, we've said a few things. There's no transparency around this decision. There's no impact assessment. These are basic things that, you know, I'm not a CEO of a, of a multi-million, I'm sure, and some company. I'd imagine this isn't the first kind of semester of classes that you'd have to do if, you, if you're a CEO making a big decision like this. Understand what that impact will have. That's not happened here. So we're asking for that to happen. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm sure Leanne and myself as well, if you want to contact us on social media, um, more than happy to have a chat. You know, I'm at Ricardo Wardes. Um, there's, there's loads of stuff out there. Just please just give it a look. If you want to, if you're a basketball coach, you want to use it for that. Have a look. Yeah, I'm sure you'll love it. Perfect. Yeah, I wanna, Go on, yeah. Just, yeah, no, sorry. I was just going to add to what Richard was saying to sort of finish on a, you know, a bit of a positive. I mean, the futsal community and the people that, 
you know make up that community are so passionate and there's a lot of work going on still on the ground you know at the grassroots club level um people driving the sport forward still so you know it's still it's going to keep growing you know people who play it fall in love with it and we you know we'll keep ensuring that, that we can provide opportunities for people perfect and then last question for for both of you before i let you go which is someone i ask everyone um who's the best player that you've played with or against and why richard do you want to take this first while i have a thing uh, can, can do um so i've been you know proud and, and fortunate to represent my country since 2014 so I've competed in a lot of international competitions, um, playing against you know some of the best players in the world. We played against Italy last January, um, who top top ten nation in the, in the world. Malim, who plays for them, unbelievable one v one dribbler, amazing to play against him and see his quality. Um, recently back from the UEFA Champions League as well in Luxembourg, where I played against some fantastic Portuguese players. Um, you know I'm playing against these people and I have to go outside of England to get this level of competition. And it's amazing, you know, these guys are playing against that level every week. So, you know, a lot of these players are brilliant. Um, if I had to put it, put it down, I'd say, I know Malin was, was pretty impressive, but my, my first kind of main competition was away in Ukraine and they were machines. Every single one of them could just smack the ball top corner every time we got beaten 7-0. And that was my first real eye-opening. Um, Player to play with, uh, Stuart Cook. He's the typical one that you'll hear everyone come up with. He's probably the best English player we've had. Amazing dribbler, again, but just his distribution and the, and the way he can disguise his movements and his pass. He's, he's quite slow. You know, he's, he's getting on a bit now with his, with his old age, 34, but still an, an incredible player. He went viral on uh, online quite a few times with his with his skills on the sun. Yeah, Stuart Cook, he'd, uh, he's probably the one to watch. Or was was the one to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to offend any of my uh, previous teammates, but I think I'm gonna like go with the goalkeepers union here and say uh, Alice um, Alice Hartness Armstrong, who is the um, Northern Ireland goalkeeper who signed for us at the beginning of last season. Yeah, she's phenomenal, and I don't think goalkeepers get enough credit generally. I mean, I'd say that in futsal, you know, a lot of people do say it. The the most important player on the pitch is the goalkeeper. Um, and yeah, she was absolutely, well, the season, yeah, the season before last, because obviously last season got cut off halfway uh, due to COVID. But the season before last, we won the uh, FA National Futsal League and the FA Futsal Cup double. And Alice was absolutely um, monumental, you know, in us winning that. She was incredible the whole season. So I'll go with Alice for players who I've played with. Um, players I've played against. Um, that's a tough one. We've, we went to Amsterdam uh, in 2017, played in a tournament against some players uh, from Germany, uh, Belgium, Holland, um, who were all um, fantastic players. So, um, yeah, I think what, maybe one of one or two of the German players that we've played against there. But I think the player that stands out for me in my mind um, is Ty Santos, who is a Brazilian girl. I think she's currently playing professionally in Italy. But there was um, a stage where there was a lot of Brazilian girls playing for Bristol. Um, 
they managed to get quite a few um, World Cup winners and uh, girls who played professionally playing for Bristol. So we played against them and yeah, that was a great experience. And uh, I think, yeah, Ty Santos, um, who plays for the Brazilian national team, is the standout player that I've played against. Perfect. Listen, I really appreciate all the time that you guys have given up. And obviously, um, I hope that, you know, this helps in terms of drum up a bit of interest and a little bit of support and whatnot. And uh, fingers crossed we can make a dent in terms of trying to support the sport because I think uh, mo most people would agree it's an invaluable, um, invaluable sport which has real great impact on, on uh, boys and girls, men and women across the country. So stay safe and hopefully I'll catch up with you both soon. Thanks a lot, Michael. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks, Bye. Michael.